Hebrews. And I will tell you that the book of Hebrews, it's, in fact, I spent the first session not even really getting into the, the scripture, but just talking about the importance of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews is a book that so many, and, and I would say the majority of us in here, Hebrews is not our light reading uh, when it comes to, to, to reading the Bible. Some of you may take care of it and jump into it, but the majority of us don't. And you kind of know perhaps a little more when last week, we were going to, to go through hopefully the first two chapters, and I think we got through three verses, I believe, Brother Miller, three verses. But man, the seven points of those three verses were powerful. Just talking about the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Hebrews simply is a, a, a the, the, the author, and we don't know who the author is, and um, some say it's Paul, some say it's Timothy, some say it's Apollos. Uh, we have no idea. It's obvious that the author is a Jew uh, with, with different uh, linguistics and, and ways that he talks about it. It's obvious that they, they hold to that, to, to that Jewish background and it's to a saved audience. It's to those that have received the gift of the Holy Ghost, been baptized in Jesus' name. But the author's intent is to remind us Jesus is greater. You need nothing else now that we have this, this revelation of God in flesh, Jesus. Let me start with these three verses just once again to set the stage. Deuteronomy 6 and 4. You know it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. There, there's no doubt about that. You're not going to get to heaven and find multiple thrones. You're not going to get to heaven and find multiple gods. In fact, it was one of the verses in Isaiah where God himself said beside me, there is no other. Would you turn with me to Colossians chapter 2 verse 9. These are verses that you need to get ingrained in your mind. As important as Acts 2.38 is, these are vital to understanding who God is. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. For in him, him meaning Jesus Christ. For in, so let me read it that way. For in Jesus dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Let me take you a step further. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. And without controversy, meaning don't argue about it, great is the mystery of godliness. And then we answer the mystery. We may not understand everything, but at least we know what the mystery is. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up to glory. This is the greatest gift that God has ever given. The law was great. The Ten Commandments was powerful. The Word of God was incredible. But the greatest thing He ever did was God came down to earth because we couldn't get up to Him. Mankind through, through uh, the, the fall of man, we had separated ourselves from God. That, 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 that connection was severed by sin. But God said, though you can't come to where I am, because you, you don't have that holiness. Sin has, has made each and every one of us uh, a dirty, rotten scoundrel. We're, we're, we're born in sin and shaped in iniquity, the psalmist said. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Paul said in Romans. But God said, I'm going to come to where you are, and we're going to show how beautiful that is today. I'm going to come down where you are so that one day you can come up to me. What I'd like to do, if you have your Bibles, we're going to, uh, we're, we're going to take it uh, uh, verse by verse and let you put it up there on the screen, and, and we'll take it. Um, 
we, we've, we've shown some things, but I want to tell you that the first thing that, that the writer of Hebrews wanted to do was he wanted to show the superiority the, uh, uh, of Jesus by his identity. So uh, read with me in, in verse chapter 1. You don't have to read aloud, but I just want you to see it. Uh, and being made so much, this is Hebrews chapter 1 verse 4. Being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels hath he said at any time, Thou art my son, and this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of the world, or, uh, let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid in the foundation of the earth. And the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thy, thou Remainest, and they shall all wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But unto which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? One of the first things that the writer of Hebrews wanted to make clear, and there's a, there's a progression you're going to see as we go through the book of Hebrews. Uh, he's better than the angels is what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, a little bit later, we'll talk about another night. We'll talk about that Jesus is greater than Moses. Then you're going to keep going. He's greater than, than, than the law that was given on Mount Sinai. He's greater than the sacrifices and the temple, and you're going to see all of that. There, in this, you, you saw several things, and it was said, or they said, or he said. All of those are Old Testament verses that the writer of Hebrews is pulling from. And I'm going to do my best to kind of tell you where they are. We may not hit every one of them. Uh, for, for a few of them, for a few times, it's the Lord speaking. But, but as we get a little further in it, I think around verse 8, it, it, it's not the Lord speaking, but it's the psalmist saying these things. And so I want you to see. The, so the writer of Hebrews, remember, they didn't have the New Testament. This new church that was birthed on the day of Pentecost, they didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They hadn't been written yet, most likely, at least to this point. Uh, you, you may have had the, the, the letter of Romans, but not everybody had access to that. But everybody had access to the Old Testament, if you will. They had access to... The, the, the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, they had all of that. And what's interesting is you can preach Jesus if all you ever do is quote the Old Testament. Now, that's what the writer of Hebrews did. And so he first wants to take you through the, the fact that the, the writer of Hebrews said that, that Jesus is greater than the angels. And he says the reason why is he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Now, the name here, we're not probably quite yet to the point where we're going to talk about Jesus and, and that name of Jesus. Right here, it's identified as son. You're not going to see the, the proper name of Jesus until Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. Christ, the word Christ doesn't appear until chapter 3 verse 1, but it's this fact that Jesus is the son of God. 
And uh, the, the point is this, it's better to be the son than an angel. Because if you look at it, we'll, we'll show you. The word angel means a messenger. That's why many times when you see uh, angels in the word of God, they're bringing a message. Uh, the easiest way to understand that is Gabriel coming to, to um, Mary, bringing a message from the Lord. They're a messenger. They can only act on what God says. They can only do what God commands. But Jesus is more than just a messenger of God. Jesus is more than just a go-between between God and man, in a sense, if you will. There's a far greater uh, degree of, of intimacy than just a messenger. Specifically, to be the Son of God means that you have to receive the deity. It's this, all of this, and, and, and I, I'm going to use big words, and I'm going to tell you, can I be real honest with you? Brother Perryman, can I just tell you that there's times when I'm saying that it's over my head sometimes. And I've studied for a couple weeks. But all of this is just simply talking about the incarnation of God. It's more, don't get caught up. Uh, when we talk about the Son of God, and that's why I'm going to try to give you some, some distinction. The Son of God, it, uh, uh, we, we don't... We don't look at Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as being, uh, you know, you, you, some people say that, that there's two things. You have God the Father in heaven and you have God the Son in heaven and they've all existed. That, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that God became man. In fact, the word, the, the, the Bible verse that we're there, and, and we're, we're right here in verse 4, if you want to put that on the screen, I guess I should have helped you out, uh, Brother Ron. Just put verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 1. So as I'm reading it and I, I pull words, you can see where it is. That, be, that word that means to have become implies the incarnation. That it wasn't just always like that. In the strictest sense, God himself is unchangeable. In fact, the Bible says that God is immutable. He does not change. You can read that in, in, in Malachi. But the only change that you can attribute to the Lord, remember, I am God, I change not. The only change you can attribute is the incarnation. And it did not change his deity. Does that make sense? Just allow me to, 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 to make sure we're all on the same page. When, when, when Jesus was born, God didn't change. But the way God revealed himself to you and I did. And God became flesh. What it is, and I like how one writer wrote it, he added genuine human experience to his unchanging deity. That's, that's where it is. To demonstrate it, they, they, let's, let's go to verse 5. The writer quotes from two verses in the Old Testament. The first is Psalms chapter 2, verse 7. The second is 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 14. And it says, the declaration is, you are my son. And I'm, I'm going to start pulling from maybe the New King James Version, but you're seeing it up there. Uh, it applies, it says, you are my son. Today have I, for, have I begotten you. This is mirrored in other places in the Word of God. We talk about Jesus, the only begotten Son. John chapter 1, verse 14. That's, that's one of them for right there. John 3, 16. You can read that there as well. The only begotten. It's the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. Now, there's nobody else. There's none else that can be there. The reason 
later on we could be called the sons of God, but it says we're the sons of God by adoption. We're the sons of God because of the adoption. But when it terms the Son of God uh, for Jesus, it's referring to His divinity and His humanity. It's it's, it's this, and I want to just keep saying this so you keep getting it, that Jesus Christ was at once fully God and at the same time fully man. And the reason the writer put this verse right here, uh, the, the day that I begot you or the time that I begot you, was because never has any angel been begotten. Angels were created just like everything else in this uh, world, but they, but, but Jesus was begotten. The simplest way to understand that phrase, thou art my son, this day have I begotten you, is to look forward to a little manger in Bethlehem and look to a specific moment in time where the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and caused her to conceive. Angels weren't like that. They were never recipients of that kind of a phrase, but Jesus Christ was. See, when it says that, that Jesus was flesh, it doesn't mean skin like this. It goes all the way to an understanding of a, of a human nature. Jesus Christ had everything that you and I had, a human body, a human soul, a human spirit, a mind, a heart, everything that was required to be human. And this is the thing, only by God becoming fully human could you and I ever be redeemed. This is not a caricature. This is not a Halloween costume. I've heard people say that God put on a a robe of flesh and and it sounds good and there's good songs about that. But God didn't go to the Halloween store and just kind of put on a costume. He became like you and I. He received that human nature from Mary. Otherwise, you can never call him the seed of David. But listen, Mary, and, and, and there, I, there, there's so many ways we could go from this, but just help me out. Mary was not a surrogate mother. Mary was not something that they just took some embryo out of heaven and implanted it in her. She was not an incubator in whom womb there was something growing. She had everything to do with that birth as any lady would ever have to do. Jesus stands, I'm going to quote again from Brother Daniel Seagraves, Jesus stands in solidarity with the human race because he was made of a woman. But this is the difference between you and I, and we're going to talk about this a lot tonight, this is the difference between you and I, that the the only way that Jesus differed from you and I is he did not possess the sin nature. You're going to find that he was tempted to sin like as you are. You're going to find that, that he, was, uh, uh, he had every, every uh, you know, battle that you and I would face. But it was by the miracle of the virgin birth. By being begotten by the Holy Spirit. He didn't carry that sin nature. You can't say of Jesus that he was born in sin and shaped in iniquity. But some of us are going to say, well, well then how, how can he be fully man? Well, we'll get to that in a moment. Because Adam and Eve were born without sin. And that's why they call Jesus the second Adam. But, but being spared the, the sin nature doesn't make him, make him any less human. So I, uh, I want to, let, let me just, just hit on it for a moment. That Adam and Eve, they were both complete human beings. And they were not 
born to sin. Does that make sense? That old song, born to be bad, that applies to everyone except Adam and Eve and Jesus. When God created Adam, he was not born to sin. He was not created to do bad. Eve was not created to do bad, but they did. Their choice took them down a bad road that's affected humanity for generations. Jesus, the second Adam, he had the same choices. Oh, I I know the, the, the tree wasn't there of the knowledge of good and evil that we talked at men's prayer last night. But can I tell you that same temptation was there? I mean, even the same devil that appeared unto uh, Adam and Eve in the garden appeared unto Jesus and tempted him. But the thing that separates him, that saves you and I, is he never sinned. He said, I'm going to show you what humanity was made to do. And because of that, he avoided being contaminated by that sin so that you and I might be saved. Go to verse 6. Verse 6, we change from Jesus or from God having some of those words to he's pulling from some psalms of, of David and, and those that he would he would write. It's not God speaking here, even though sometimes it seems that way. But it, but it's the psalmist, and so uh, you're, you're gonna see that. It's important to understand. It's, it's one thing for, a, for for God to say. Let all the angels of God worship him. But it's the psalmist, I believe David right here, that that we're pulling from. It was David that recognized the glory of God and said, let all creation worship God. Now we're implying that same thing to Jesus. Because he is God manifest in the flesh. And so as we go, it, it indicates, remember the Bible says you can't worship, thou shalt worship no other God. Remember that in the Ten Commandments? Can't worship any other God. In fact, Jesus himself said when, when uh, 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 the Satan came and, and, and Jesus uh, told him there in, in the wilderness after Jesus was baptized, he said, away with you, Satan. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And so this is real simple. This is what the writer of Hebrews wanted to say right here. We don't worship the angels. But the angels worship Jesus. How can they worship Jesus unless he's God? Because you can't have the angels surely of anybody that's not going to make a mistake. Those angels in heaven that you read about in Isaiah and you read about there. They, 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 they fly to you know, the seraphims, Isaiah 6. Two, uh, two of the wings, they cover their face. Two of the wings, they cover their feet. And two, they fly. And they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That angel is, is, is not going to say, okay, I'll worship Jesus unless he's fully God. Jesus is far better than the angels because he deserves our worship. Verse 7 goes a little bit further. Right here we're, we're, we're saying, Of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a, 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 a flame of fire. Here angels are created, but the Son is begotten. And again, he's better, he's greater. Go to verse 8. In contrast to the angels being a servant, here we see uh, uh, the Son of God. The Son is God. Let me show you that, that uh, the, the writer 
Um, the writer of Hebrews, when he uses the word son of God, he's, he's talking about the genuine humanity of Jesus. But when he talks about Jesus being God, he's, he, he's talking about that permanent thing. And so when, when, that's why Jesus could say, that's my throne. It's not the humanity part of the throne. It's God's part of the throne. And so here, when it talks about thy throne, O God, is forever and ever, and, and you have that scepter in your hand of righteousness and a scepter of your kingdom, that's talking about the glory and the power and the, the, the unmatched uh, uh, superiority of God. He is God. What more can you get? But yet, you can look at Jesus and say it's your throne too. Because he's God manifest in the flesh. We keep going in, 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 into verse 9. And uh, it says, Thou have loved righteousness and hated iniquity. And, and therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy, thy fellows. The speaker in this psalm that he pulls from, which is, uh, let me, let me find, find where it is. Uh, I didn't write it down. Psalms 45, that's it. Psalms 45 is where he pulls this from. And uh, in it, he's declaring the Son of God. And he's describing the aspects of his deity. In the humanity, that Messiah loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. And so because of that, God has anointed the humanity with the oil of gladness. There's no other human being that could walk this earth that could say, I loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Remember Paul, the great Apostle Paul? You know, the one that, that if any, anybody should get in heaven, Apostle Paul should be in heaven. And Paul himself said in verse, uh, chapter 7 of, of Romans, that that I should do, I don't. That that I want to do, I can't. That wrestling that Paul had, Jesus didn't wrestle like that. The humanity there. And so, and here again, the, the, we're talking about Jesus is better than the angels. In verse 6, the angels are to worship him. In verse 7, the angels are his servants. In verse 8, we're talking about that Jesus is God himself. It's just simply getting there. Look at verse 10. I know we, we kind of go back and forth, but, but in verse 10, let me tell you why, why Jesus is better than the angels. Because Jesus is God, manifest in the flesh, and as God, he laid the foundations in the earth in the beginning. None of the angels can do that. They may have been around for some of it. They may have gotten to see some of it. But you don't say of an angel, oh, that, uh, that star, Gabriel made that. But here in the, in, the, in the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 10, it says that the heavens are the work of thy hands. It's the, it's, it's, even though we're talking about Jesus, they are recognizing that he is God manifest in the flesh. He's the Lord. The, the creation, that's before the incarnation. And, and God was there. It's the incarnation that brings God down to earth as you and I. In fact, let me just help you out. Anytime in the book of Hebrews that you read the word son, it refers to that incarnation that happened in Bethlehem. 
all of the other times that you read uh, God and the Lord, it's talking about that, that God that is uh, all-knowing all the time. He's everywhere. And the Son, this is, this, is, this is it. The Son is better than the angels because He's God, Yahweh, who created all things. The angels, now they didn't have this problem, but if the angels could have probably pitched a fit if they were like some of, of us, if, if, we, if we take a different view of God manifest flesh, if you take a different view that, that, that Jesus is something different than God himself, can't you imagine Gabriel? Let me take you, I'm, I'm teaching you the false thing. You're not supposed to do that. I'm not supposed to teach you the false way, but let me just show you the, the, the stupidity of it. Can you imagine Gabriel after... 6,000 years of humanity's existence and who knows how long the angels were before. All of a sudden Jesus shows up and all this glory and honor is given to Jesus. One of the angels goes, that's not fair. God, I've been by your side this whole time. Why? He, he's, a, he's a newcomer on the scene. Why, why are you doing all that? Don't you know what I've done for you? The reason the angels didn't have that fit is because this is not somebody new on the scene. This was God coming down to earth Walking down. That's why Jesus is better than the angels. Because he's Yahweh. He's the I am that I am. And in verse 11 and verse 12. Although creation itself may perish. God remains. Though, though, though they can wax old. And though everything else has a, has a time limit and a date of expiration. God doesn't. As creator. He has the ability, if you will, to figure of speech here, to fold them up. He has the ability. We sing that song, and uh, Sister Cindy, help me out. What's the song that says, um, when the earth is rolled up like a scroll? <laughs> is it, what, the great I am, what is it? Anyway, we, we sing that song. I, I know I put you on the spot, same as me. My brain shuts down, but we use that term. He rolls them up like a scroll. As the creator, God knows the end from the beginning. And there was a moment in time where God stood on the abyss of nothing and said, let there be, and there was. And there will be a moment at the end of time when Jesus will stand and he will say, it is done. And the earth will pass away. In fact, uh, is, it, is it Peter that said, the earth will pass away and melt with a fervent heat, with a great noise. It's Jesus. God manifest in the flesh. As great as the mystery and the miracle of the, of the incarnation, we go back to, to 1 Timothy 3.16, great is the mystery. I'm going to tell you right now, I can study, I can read, you ought to see my Bible, you ought to see the highlights. I've studied more for this in, 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 a, in a knowledge, more academic way so that I can understand it, so I can give it to you. But in all of that, I might not forever be able to, to, to say it perfectly. And I struggle with that. I struggle being able to stand behind a pulpit and not being able to paint the perfect picture. But you can't because great is a mystery of godliness. But as mysterious as that miracle is, I can tell you right now that Jesus' humanity was not a charade or an appearance. I want you to look at verse 13 of, of Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 13. It says, but to which of the angels... As he said at any time, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. This is not a radical division of the Godhead. This is not two 
uh, two gods talking to each other. It's the, it's the humanity talking to the divinity. It's the same thing that when Jesus knelt down in the garden of Gethsemane and he, he, he cried and he sweated as if it were great drops of blood and he said, he said uh, uh, you know, Father, if it be thy will, take this cup from me. That was the humanity saying, I don't want to die because it's going to hurt. Does that make sense? Humanity cried out, I don't want to go to the cross because I know what it's going to be like when they nail those, those nails in my hand. But then you have that phrase that says, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. The humanity said, I'm done. I, whatever it takes. But you can also have the opposite of that. You can have the divinity, the divine talking to the human. And some people say, well, that, now you can't do that. That means there's a split. Well, if so, then most of you are, are, are really two people because a lot of you talk to yourselves, right? Right? Nobody thinks it's weird if you carry on a conversation. Nobody thinks it's weird if you, you do that. And, and a person can consult with himself without posting a, a radical division. And so it's true there. Especially since you had a divine God that added a complete human nature to his existence. And because of that, Jesus is better than the angels. Because he alone is going to sit at the power of God. That's what the right hand of God means. It doesn't mean a, a, a physical place. Like on my right, it's a... It's a, a uh, 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 it's just a figure of speech to talk about the power. And uh, in verse 14, and then we're, we're ending chapter 1. We're finally through chapter 1. Hallelujah. But uh, it says, are they, meaning the angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be the heirs of salvation? Angels exist to serve. And one day they'll even serve you and I. Because we're the heirs of Christ. In fact, right now they do because we talk about it. Lord, there, there, there's that, it's a verse, but I, I use it as a prayer many times. Lord, would you put a, a hedge of angels around me? Have you ever prayed that? Lord, would you, would you just, would you just in, let the angels encompass those that, that trust you? They serve. Jesus is greater. The writer of Hebrews in this first chapter, he took several different verses in Psalms and other places. And he wanted to show you more than anything else that the Son was superior than the angels. See, the angels had, or rather the Jewish, which is the Jews, which is who uh, this book was primarily written to, they had a great respect for angels. It, we don't see that much in our apostolic readings of the Bible. But if you were to go talk to, to uh, uh, a, Jew, a Jewish believer, they would, they would show you that every incredible moment in their history had an angel accompanying it. An angel appeared to uh, Adam and Eve and kept them out of the garden. An angel appeared unto Abraham. An angel appeared unto Jacob. An angel appeared unto Moses. And, and especially when the law came down, that fire that I talked about, I think, last week, that fire and, and, and things that encompassed the mountain of Sinai, those were angelic beings. And so they had a, 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 a great desire to listen to the angels. Mary heard the, the angel that came. But the writer of Hebrews wanted to make it very clear that we don't need to listen to the angels. We need to listen to the Son of God. And, and so this is why you have 
the message. And then so we showed you that, that the, Jesus is superior because of his identity, but let me show you that he's superior because of his message. And this is where we ended last week, but this will be the middle of this week, if that makes sense. Go to chapter 2 and verse 1. Therefore, we ought to give the most earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Verse 2, for if by the word spoken by the angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience was received, a just recompense of reward. Verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. Verse 4. And God also bearing them witnesses, both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. If Jesus is better than the angels, then any covenant that comes, any word that was spoken by Jesus, ought to hold in a greater weight than even what the angels said. See, Paul, or well, I said Paul, that's kind of who I think wrote Hebrews, but let me not give you my assumption, let you think of whoever you want to. The writer of Hebrews was dealing with some that wanted to go back and live only in the Old Testament, that wanted to go back to the Jewish covenants and customs. They even wanted to, even though they had tasted of, of the Holy Ghost and tasted of the baptism of Jesus Christ, they were wanting to slip back into their Jewish roots and go back to sacrificing some animals, going back to some of those teachings. And Paul, nah, the writer of Hebrews, sorry. The writer of Hebrews said, no. The angels, we, we're thankful for what the angels have said. But we've got a greater voice in our life no longer are angels going to come and talk to you was it I think it was Paul that said if we or even an angel come and preach any other gospel save that of Jesus Christ let him be accursed you don't need a sign right now I don't want you to I don't think any of you do but I don't want you to go home and say oh send me an angel so that I can believe no you need to pick up your Bible and look at what Jesus said and preached and taught his words were there and here's the thing, if you don't do the Ten Commandments which came down in a, in a cacophony, in a symphony of angels, if you think that, that you, know, you can lie and nothing happens, you're wrong. But even that commandment, everything that Jesus has said, you better obey that as much as you think you should obey the, the angels. Let me take you a little bit. Go to verse Verse 5. And this is where, it'll get a little bit easier. It's, 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 this is, we don't talk a lot about angels. When's the last time you ever heard your pastor preach a message about angels? I don't think I've ever preached a message about angels since I've been pastor. So this is, this is odd for some of us. Next time when we get that he's better than Moses, that's easier for you to understand because, of course. But in, in chapter 2, verse 5 through 18, we're going to talk about, we're going to go back to his incarnation. And I want to I show it. Let's look at, at, at verse 6. The writer of Hebrews, uh, and, and actually it's going to be verse 6 through 8, but we'll get there. The writer of Hebrews, he, he, he's saying that uh, there was once in a certain place that testified saying, and this is, this is the Psalms, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou would visiteth him? Verse 7. For thou madest him a little lower than the angels, and thou crownedest him with glory and honor, and thou didst set him over the works 
of thy hand. See, let's take this simply in a human perspective. Uh, Guys, you that were here last night in men's prayer, we, we touched on this. God created Adam. And, and, and it was supposed to be his crowning creation. He put him in the garden and he said, I'm going to put you over dominion over every living thing. So even though uh, human beings were made a little lower than the angels, as humanity we were destined, we were destined to rule over all creation. But Adam marred that. Eve messed that up. And so now we're, we, we no longer have that dominion. Now we're at the, the pull and the mercy of that sinful nature, the pull and the mercy uh, of the enemy's temptation. But here the writer of Hebrews takes that and he puts even more of a messianic slant on it. And he's saying that even though the Messiah was the Son of God, he's also the Son of Man. And he was a genuine human being made a little lower than the angels but crowned with glory and honor. We see this, that in the superiority of the Son of God, that, that though he was made in the incarnation, though he was made a little lower like a human being, like you and I, he was made as a human being, ultimately he's going to take his place in the throne room of heaven and the angels will bow down to him. Verse 9 teaches us that the purpose of the incarnation, the purpose of that was to give you and I a substitute for the sacrifice was having to be done over and over for the sins of humanity. In verse 9, let's read it. Because this is the first time in the book of Hebrews you see his name. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. That's the humanity. For the suffering of death, he's going to have to die. But because he died, he is crowned with glory and honor. That he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Again, let me listen, listen. This reinforces the genuineness of Jesus' humanity. He was created, he was born just like you and I, and he willingly looked to the cross. It's what I preached Sunday in the park. We had a great time Sunday. Thank you for being a part of that. Every one of you that helped set it up or tear it down or just be there, I think we counted about 145 people that were there. And and that's what I preached Sunday morning, that Jesus willingly went to the cross. He looked towards the cross. He was crowned. One one person, uh, and I don't know who this writer is, so I can't tell you who he is. It's F.F. Bruce. I don't know who that is. But I like what he wrote. I read this. Because the Son of Man suffered, because His suffering has been crowned with His exaltation, therefore His death avails for all. That glory that we're talking about, crown, you can read it, it's the Shekinah. It's the glory of God. It represents God Himself to the Jews. When James wrote in the book of James, chapter 2, verse 1, he wrote that Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory. What he meant was Jesus is the visible image of a glorious God. When you, that's why Jesus could say, when you see me, you've seen Him. And so it is this grace of God right here. That we read, it's God's free gift of salvation that anyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ can receive the atoning work. 
This isn't, see, this is the problem, and, and I, I know I'm skipping ahead. This is the problem with the Old Testament sacrifices. The way it worked was if you sinned, you would have to go to the priest and you'd have to bring a lamb and they would kill that lamb and the blood of that lamb would, it could not wash away your sin, but it could roll them away uh, uh, for a year. And then there was an actual day, the day of atonement, that it was kind of a symbolic rolling away of all of the sins of Israel. What it means is, Brother Steve, let's say that that, that you got a, a, a speeding ticket, all right? On that speeding ticket, there's a court date. And you've got to pay the fine when that court date comes. And that court date's in one week. But if you could avail yourself to the judge, I'm not, I'm not quite ready to pay that price. The judge could give you, and I'm, I'm trying to remember the word, but they could push it back, your court date back. A what? A continuance, thank you. A continuance. They could say, Brother Steve, I'm going to push it back a month. And you'd be safe that month. But when it came time to the end of that month, you'd have to go back to that judge and say, I'm not, I can't pay that price. And he'd say, well, I'll give you a continuance. That's what the, the sacrifices of the Old Testament was. It just kept pushing it back, just a continuance. The death of Jesus Christ was not a limited atonement. The death of Jesus Christ was not merely something that just pushed back the, the judgment of God himself and the judgment of, 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 of justice, but instead it was of infinite value. The death of Jesus Christ once and for all took care of it. It took care of it then and it takes care of it now and it's going to take care of it in 3,000 years if we so would, would stay in humanity go. It is enough. That's why it said he tasted death for every man. Watch this. For scarcely for a righteous man might one die. Somebody comes in my house and, and they want to take out a gun and shoot my children. I'd jump in front of that bullet as fast as I could. They're my family. I might even take a bullet for you. But am I going to take a bullet for the heroin addict on the street that's caught up in a gang turf war? Hmm, that's hard. The Bible says for scarcely for a right or, or scarcely for a righteous man might one die. Peradventure for a good man, one might die. But God <laughs> commendeth his love that while you and I were yet sinners, Christ died for you. The reason it says that the grace of God should taste death for every man, meaning he didn't die just for the Jew. He didn't die just for the Gentile. He didn't die for the smart only. He didn't die for the, 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 the good only. He died for each and every person, which is why the Bible says, whosoever will, let him come. That's why the Bible says uh, in, in, in 1 Peter, it says, uh, uh, the, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but the Lord is long-suffering, meaning he loves you. He's patient to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why? Because he tasted death for every man. The death of the humanity of Jesus Christ on that cross. Remember, God didn't die on the cross. If God died on the cross, this world would have flown apart. If God would have died on the cross, what point of that would have been? Humanity died on the cross. The flesh died on the cross. It was the human heart that stopped on the cross. And uh, God knew 
that the only appropriate solution for the sin problem. Humanity, uh, Adam had introduced sin into the human race. And God said, I'm going to let a human take sin out of the human race. And so God became man, the incarnation. I know I've used that word a lot, but I hope it drills right here in your forehead. By one man, Adam, sin came into the world. But by one man, Jesus Christ, he took care of it once and for all. Sin was a human problem, and only a human being, if you will, essentially was going to solve it. The problem was all humanity was marred by sin. So God had to go back and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reverse it. I'm going to go back to that prototypical man, that inaugural man, Adam. And so God became flesh. Look at, uh, uh, are we still in verse 10? Yes. Uh, For it became him by whom are all things and by whom, and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through their sufferings. When I think of a captain, I think of the captain of a football team, the captain of a, of a, of a military branch. They're the ones that lead. They're the ones that set the stage. And so because of that, Jesus led what he did on the cross leads you and I to salvation. That's why it says there's many sons unto glory. That's you and I. That's, that's, the, that's those that have, that have partaken of the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ through Acts 2.38. That's you and I. And we're following Jesus, the one who paved the way. I, I, I hope you're getting what I'm getting. No other sinful human human can lead others to this state. So God became flesh so that he could lead you there. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Look at, 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 go, where are we at? Go to verse 11. For both he that sanctifieth and they who were sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Jesus identified so completely with humanity that he said, you're my brother. I'm dying for my brother. And, and so he sanctified you and we're able to get there. And, and this is, this is I, I, I lo- let me just quote, this is what I love. Uh, the marvel, I'm quoting, the marvel of the redemptive plan is that in order to bring many sons to glory, God was willing to stoop to become one of us. Since we could not come to him, he came to us. That's why Jesus is greater. That's why Jesus is better. That's why Jesus can do more and more and more. Uh, go, uh, go, go to verse 12. Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren, and in the midst of the church will I sing praise to thee. I, I could take you to uh, uh, places in the, Old, in the New Testament, in, in like John chapter 17 and verse 6, when in prayer Jesus said, I have manifested your name to the men whom you've given me out of this world. And what Jesus was saying was he said, I've come and I have shown them you. I am the image of God. I've manifested thy name in the midst of them. I've preached, I've taught, I've led. And eventually, I'm going to die. The idea is simple. 
This is Jesus. He was God made in human existence. Verse 13. Again, the writer begins to quote from Isaiah chapter 8. I will put my trust in him. And then he quotes another verse. Behold, I and the children which God hath given me. The Messiah as, a, as, as genuine humanity. He puts his trust in God. The humanity of Jesus credits God for giving him those children that believe, if you will. And I know it's a mystery, but it's still simple. Jesus Christ was at once both God and man. With his deity uncompromised by his human nature. And his human nature uncompromised by his deity. I don't know if that makes sense the way I see it in my mind. But I can't tell you how it works. But Jesus could walk here. And as God, he could walk on water and heal the sick and open blinded eyes. As God, he could look the devil right in the face and cast him out. As God, he could do miracles and he was unchanged. He was all God. But as humanity, the very fact that he didn't sin was not because he was God. He was a human that was able to withstand the temptation. The fact that, you know, don't you, if, if Jesus hungered, we know that. Jesus hungered, right? He got hungry. It wasn't a, a easier hunger than what you and I have ever had to go through. I don't know if you've ever really been hungry. I'm not talking about the 10 o'clock hunger because you ate a good breakfast and your metabolism kicked in and by 10 o'clock you're starving to death. I'm not talking about that. Maybe if you've been on a couple day fast, that kind of a hunger. Jesus' hunger was no less than you and I's hunger. God didn't help him in the hunger. He was fully man. But verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Let me just tell you what this verse, I'm, I'm just going to help you out. Jesus partook of everything that you and I partook of. Don't ever let anybody tell you the blood that coursed through Jesus' veins was different than the blood that courses through your veins. Don't ever let them tell you his flesh was different than the flesh you and I have. There was no heavenly flesh. There was no unique flesh and blood. There was no different physiology that he had. He was the same as you and I. Again, let me tell you, Mary was not a surrogate. Mary was not an incubator. He was everything you and I was. He shared in the same flesh and blood. He ate. He breathed. He, he, everything that your body does, our, his body did. But he, and because of that, why the reason for this incarnation was to give the legitimate answer to the destruction of Satan. You remember all the way back in the Garden of Eden? God came down and he said, Adam, because you sinned, you're going to have to work by the sweat of your brow and it's not going to be easy. All the days of your life, you're going to have to toil. And when you die, you're going to go back to the dust that you were formed. Eve, because you've sinned, you're going to be in subjection to your husband. It's 
what, it's what the Word of God says. You're gonna, you're, they're gonna be that fight, and 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 you're you're, you're through through childbearing. It, there's gonna be pain and agony and travail. Then he looked at the devil in the form of that serpent. He said, "Because of what you did to my creation, you're gonna curse to crawl on your belly for the rest of your time. You're gonna eat the dust." One day, the seed of the woman, one day one born of a woman, you're going to strike at his heel, but he's going to crush your head. I can tell you that that, that doesn't mean that, that the one that's, that crushes the head doesn't die. The venom, the, a snake's venom, no matter where it hits you on your body, it courses through your body. But the answer was this. There is going to be a death of that, of that seed of a woman. But that death of the seed of the woman, what you thought, devil, was your ultimate victory, is going to end up crushing you forever and ever. See, Adam, he should have resisted the temptation of the devil. But he advocated, he, he, he gave up his dominion. He had the dominion. God gave him the dominion in, the, in Genesis chapter 2 or 1. Or anyway, one of those first times. He gave him that. But he, he said, instead of, I'm going to give up my ability to say no. I'm going to be under Satan's influence for the rest of my life. And I'm going to suffer the ultimate penalty of sin, death. Jesus rendered Satan's defenseless because Jesus did in his genuine humanity what Adam should have done in the garden. Jesus. Remember, remember last night we talked about that, that Eve didn't know the word of God? That that was the biggest problem of Eve's life. She didn't know the word of God. And because of that, Satan convinced her to fall. Satan walks up to Jesus in the, in the wilderness. And he tries that same thing he did to Eve. Jesus, he had just been baptized by John the Baptist. The spirit, you know, the, the, the dove is, was above. And Jesus goes in the wilderness. And for 40 days, he, he, he fasts. This was not... A divine fast. He hungered. He lost weight. His body was weak. And Satan came to him in that weakened state, Brother Kozar. And Satan did what he did to Eve because Satan said, He's human. I can beat him. And he looks at Jesus and he says, I know you're starving. Why don't you just pick up that rock and turn it into, into, a, into bread? You can do it if you're really God. But Satan knew he was human, human. And so he did that. And what did Jesus do? It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. What Adam and Eve should have done in the garden, Jesus did in the completeness of his humanity. And Satan began to shake because Satan realized, I've lost that's why for the rest of Jesus' life, Satan tried to kill him over and over and over. They, they, they would try to push him off a cliff, you'll find. They tried to do this and that, and they couldn't. Because Satan knew if this one ever dies, an innocent death untouched by sin. Oh, death, where is thy sting? 
O sin, where is thy pull? Writer begins to say, would you go back to, to, to verse 15? Why don't we stand today? I feel his presence. <laughs> that Jesus has come to deliver them that through fear of death were all of their lifetime subject to bondage. The writer begins to say, <laughs> sorry, I'm getting excited. The writer begins to say, there is coming a day. There's going to be a moment where sin and its effects and the death can't hold me any longer. There's coming a day when this mortal shall put on immortality. When this corruption shall put on incorruption. Verse 16. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. God said, I can't use an angel to defeat sin. I can't use an angel to defeat the devil. i got to go back to the beginning. I've got to use humanity. A sinless humanity to do so. Would you go to verse 17? And wherefore in all him, in, in all things, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful, faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the things of his people. Listen to me carefully. When that priest in the Old Testament stood, let me use you, Brother Miller. Come up to me, act like you're carrying a lamb. You've got all of this sin that you did and you bring it to the priest and you give it to the priest. That priest could only sympathize with you because that priest himself had sinned and come short of the glory of God. But Jesus was like you and I. But when you bring him your sin, he says, I can stand here. I, I, I've been, I, I fought the battle you fought, but I won. I fought the temptation you were tempted of, but I won. And so because of that, don't give me your sacrifice. I've become your sacrifice. It behooved him to make. The high priest Jesus is a high priest, and we're going to talk about this a lot more, but he's of a better covenant because he's merciful. He's faithful. Verse 18. For in that he himself had suffered being tempted, he is able to secure them that are tempted. That's what I just said there. He's not one that can just say, I've walked your shoes and I've messed up and I'm... I'm glad God loves me just like he loves you. He allowed himself to walk in your shoes and fight your battles. But because he won, he has the victory to bring you out of sin. That's why he said in Jesus Christ, you are a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Why? Because he walked where you walked. But now you can follow a new path. I wonder if we could lift our hands. I feel the presence of God all over here. This is why Hebrews is so incredible. This is why the Word of God is so powerful. Because He became like you and I. That I might one day 
become like him. I'm going to open these altars. I want you to lift your voice. I want you to talk to him. I want you to call out to him. He walked where you walked so that you might now walk where he is in heavenly places. Would you lift your hands and would you cry out to him right now? Oh God. Oh God. Oh God. Oh God.